I didn't face the original trauma in my life with on top of this new trauma I was facing of that I was just going to continue to pile up. So I was like, well, let me just start at the beginning. Cause I don't, like you said, like if I'm already getting depressed from this and if I already have other stuff that I've just never gotten to face, like I really just need to figure all of it out to really find out who I can now be and who I am. Welcome, welcome to the Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Darian Gray. Extraordinary uh, excellence. I did this last time. <laughs> uh, I just like, you know, brevity is the soul of wit, I think. So the welcome to the Extraordinary Excellence Podcast, where I don't know the tagline because it keeps evolving and that's how excellent we are. Um, but I am so lucky to be joined today by two incredible people. And we're going to be talking, um, you know, trigger warning, we're going to be talking about illnesses and chronic illnesses in that journey. And I think this is such an important conversation for anyone who is currently um, diagnosed with an illness or chronic illness, anyone who's caring for someone who has a chronic illness. And just uh, don't sign off even if you don't fall in those two camps, because one day you probably will. Mm -hmm. And the lessons they're going to share today and the the truths that they have found through their journey, I think are universally applicable. And I I look forward to the wisdom that's going to be um, uh, given today. So I'm here with uh, Meg. Um, She has gone through quite the journey and has learned a lot through the way. Um, At 19, she was diagnosed with cancer and she was able to overcome that. But then at 25, she found another uh, QRE malformation, which is basically a spinal cord pressure disease at 25. And she's been dealing with that ever since then. She's had a lot of twists and turns, a car accident cause a complete collapse of um, her four through seven uh, segments of her spine. I'm probably misspeaking a little bit. She had multiple spi- <laughs> spinal surgeries, has a titanium cage in her spine, which I don't know what that means, but it makes me think of like uh, wrestling when I was a kid, the steel <laughs> cage match in her spine. Um, but through all of that, she has not la- allowed that to be uh, what defines her. She is a mother of uh, two kids, a boy and a girl. Her oldest is a senior in high school. Um, she has a partner named John and recently she shared her story on a, a raw story slam. And that has inspired her to wanna share her story more and help more people who are going through similar things. So Meg, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. And uh, right alongside me is my beautiful warrior wife, uh, Nicole. What's the I'm just smiling. Uh, you look like you're grimacing. Um, <laughs> she, sometimes she wants to be known as that. Sometimes she doesn't. And uh, she has had a decades long um, journey with chronic illness as well. Had multiple surgeries throughout her, her childhood, just mostly from being clumsy. Um, <laughs> but she has also more recently um, was diagnosed with a cerebral uh, pseudotumor cerebrae, which is basically the pressure on her brain was building because fluid was being introduced, but not draining properly. So it was just pressing onto her brain in a way that mimicked a tumor, which took a while to figure out. So that, that was fun. Maybe we'll talk about the uncertainty of that journey. Um, and then since then, she has now developed um, status migranosis. Uh, so basically she's had a migraine every day since June till now. Um, but she has also refused to allow that to define her. She's a kit butt lawyer. 
She's an amazing wife. She's a fur mom to our recent addition to our family, Freddie. Um, and she has just done so much work on herself um, to mine whatever joy and wisdom that can come out of this journey. And I know Meg has done the same. So uh, I'm so, so happy to have you both here. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. I think this is the first ever full takeover of the EOE podcast where neither Sean or Anthony are present. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. We're going to do it. I'm excited to be here. So I'll help you, you know, break the seal first time. Excellent. Yeah. I just wish everyone could see this uh, wonderful vision wall uh, Meg has behind her. Yeah, I'll try to like love zoom real quick and stickers. And just amazing. Thank um, you. And so I, I just think we're going to have a lot of fun today. No, Sean, no, Anthony. The cats are away. No rules. No, no name. No tagline. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Welcome to the Jerry and Gray <laughs> podcast. That's, no, you two are the stars today. Um, and I think let's let's start off with something that I think everyone can appreciate, especially in the circumstance of the world right now, is mm. fear and uncertainty. When you're facing a chronic illness, there's so much uncertainty and the fear can be so real. And I think coming out of this COVID world, so many people can feel the same way. So um, why don't you both talk about grappling with uncertainty, grappling with fear and what your journey towards wellness has taught you to, and, and how to handle that? It's definitely <clears throat> different. I would say I don't even think I realized like the first time I worried that much more about what would happen until, you know, like you go to have fun or something after like one of my first major surgeries. And it was just like, Oh, I, you know, like you seem to care or think about it more or overanalyze that sometimes that most people don't. And it's almost like being, unfortunately, like you're almost in your old age, but you're not. So mentally, sometimes I know I face this battle of wanting to just live life and feel really good. And then sometimes I more, I would say at night <laughs> tend to face these fears and not being a part of the exciting things in my kid's life or just things that I don't want to miss out on, but then trying to remember that it is important to live every day to the fullest. And even if we have these fears, sometimes to not let them overtake us or empower, you know, depower us so much from getting to experience things because I don't want, you know, like I, my daughter's eight. And as much as sometimes it's like, oh, I worry about not maybe getting to be here for the long run. I don't want that to take away right now. I don't want her to, you know, I want to do as much as I can, you know, while I can without letting it overtake that, which it is difficult, especially when things like COVID happen, because then it amplifies our fear of getting sick or our fear of something happening to us. And it's a very fine line. I think it's very important to like anything in life, find what works for you, you know, like, and not allow other people to put certain things on you. Or if you're uncomfortable with something like that's okay. You know, like I've had to learn, I'm a little weird about certain restaurants before COVID, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to find certain things that you're comfortable with. And certain people should understand that about you. And that's where I really had to learn, like, even though I have certain fears and I don't want them to cripple me, there's a certain things that it's okay to put in place in your boundaries that it doesn't make you, you know, missing out. And certain people should understand that's who you are as a person. And I, I don't know, it's a fine line, <laughs> but I think it's important for other people to understand certain things make you who you are and to be comfortable as well. You know, like my fears might not be your fears, but I'm still okay to have them 
but not to let them keep me from getting to be me as long as I, you know, if I can find what works, like I, you know, was saying that I was kind of cool that I love to even just like bring extra clothes or certain things with me, certain places just to help ease that. Even if it's so silly, like, Oh, what if that I get too hot or I then can't enjoy myself? Well, just throw some extra clothes in my car, throw some extra hats in there, like have an extra pair of shoes. So then it helps ease my mind, you know, or certain things that I have found that help me feel a little bit better. If that makes sense. hundred <laughs> percent. And I think, you know, both of you are way down this journey. Now you've had years and years and you've come up with such practical things and, and, and mindset. So what would you say if someone maybe who's just starting, maybe just got a diagnosis and, or, or is just really starting to face these, these fears, like you said, uh, uh, that could be quite paralyzing. What would you say to that person? You know, what would you share with them? Um, as much as that to not really allow the anger to overcome the fear, like to become the fear, I guess, which I feel like it's a fine line sometimes almost to not be so fearful that you're almost angry. Like, why are these things happening? Why am I put in this position to really not allow the anger to become the fear? And it's okay to be afraid. You know, it is okay to be afraid sometimes, but to really step back and to figure out to like, what really is best for you. And to know that like, it's, it is difficult, but to find the people that you really feel that you would want to be there for this, or what is the most important thing that you now feel would help you through this? If that may, like, what is the most important thing in your life? Like, what genuinely do you think would make you feel better or help do this or certain things? And like, I, I know for myself personally, like I have found art like really to distract, like, is I take like the paint samples at Home Depot and I cut them up and I make these like amazing art pieces. And I have found that sometimes when I am just, oh, like I'm in so much fear, just so overwhelmed thinking about so much because our minds sometimes just race with all of these what ifs and possibilities. And we don't know how to handle it all that I really encourage you to find that thing, that motivation that doesn't make you just want to drink or commit suicide or do drugs, but that thing that really will help distract from the fear or help pull you through the anger and the sadness and everything that you're feeling to the other side. So I I really found that what will make you want to keep going and conquer that fear. And that I find is really the drive for most people. So I, I think, you know, it's almost like reflecting on your life, but like what makes you want to be here, push through that fear. And I found that that really helps personally, you know, your kids, your art, or if it's even, I've told people, so many people get so down and they're so like, Oh, I have no reason. I was like, honestly, there's so many people in an orphanage. There are homeless people, like whatever it is, if you could help distract from yourself personally, I find, or whatever, it really helps pull away from that fear. Cause we're all, it's, it's not going to go away as much as I would love for the fear to go away. I don't think it ever will. So if I could find things to just make it peaceful <laughs> and not take over my life, I would encourage people to really do that. hundred percent. I think when we can learn to serve despite being in pain or being in fear, something really magnificent gets unlocked inside of us. It, yeah. it, it's, it's like when helping other people somehow is very soothing. Yes. to yourself. And I think you said something so important before that the anger, the fear is like, no one likes to sit in that place. 
So the anger is almost like a comforting, like it's a very easy emotion to go through. And Nicole, I know we've talked a lot about this, that it's easier to become angry than to be vulnerable and actually sit in some of these emotions. So I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about how you learn to sit in these emotions and process them in ways that don't involve unhealthy behaviors that you maybe have done in your past. Yeah, I think I first want to go back a little to my journey with fear because I found that I had two different competing fears. I had this fear of the unknown and I had this fear of disconnection. And the fear of the unknown manifested itself in numbing. I would numb my feelings, whether it was a medically induced coma or food or online shopping or whatever addiction I was succumbing to that day. And then I had this fear of disconnection, which manifested itself in this deep rooted shame. And it was the shame. It was this intensely painful feeling that I was flawed and unworthy of love and connection because of my illness, because I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do, that I was disconnected from my friends, from my family, from my life. So, you know, Darian always, when we're analyzing our feelings together, tells me that the, often the, the, thing that you're feeling is not really what you're feeling. It's there's a deep rooted, deep seated issue from that. And for me, it was this fear of the unknown, but I know that fear and faith can't exist in the same vein. And for me, I'm Christian. So I try to live in the the place where I don't have to understand what's going on, that God promised me peace, not understanding. So in living in fear, I'm not really living in the way that, you know, God wanted me to live and promised me to live. Um, what was your second question? One of the issues that I'm struggling with right now is memory loss. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny I because know. it's kind of funny because I'm 31 years old and I can't remember what I had for breakfast. No. Um, yeah, this is a new journey for me because this is all brand new. Um, you know, I have dealt with chronic illness in the past, but this particular battle that we've been dealing with has been since June 1st of this last year. So we're coming up on, uh, you know, next Saturday is going to be 11 months that this has been going on. And it's been 11 months since I practiced law. It's been 11 months since, you know, I just started going for walks again about a, a month ago, I'd say. Um, I used to go on walks every day. I couldn't do anything besides uh, get up and see how my day was going to be. And if I was lucky that day, I could go to the grocery store. I didn't drive for like six months. I didn't have a diagnosis. So I was living in this constant state of unknown and fear. And, you know, I was not able to work and that was like up in arms and purgatory. And I was just in this constant state of, I couldn't control anything going on in my life. So I had to focus deeply on the things that I could control. So what could I control? I could control the food that goes into my body, the rest that I get, the input that I put in, in terms of my perspective and my mindfulness, because I wake up negative in the morning. It's just the way that I live my life, unfortunately, but I can control what I put in. And in a time where I couldn't control what's happening or I still can't control what's happening to my body, I can control my mind. So I can choose my perspective and that has been a true gift in this time. Yeah, and I think what we had to learn when we did this working with our emotional performance coach was to truly grieve the loss mm. that we have. Because most people think grief as losing a loved one, which is a very extreme form right. of grief for sure. But what we had lost is our lifestyle. 
the lifestyle that we were used to. And in, it was so easy to just keep looking at that loss and, and then you lose the present moment. Right. Like you're saying Meg before, like being with your daughter, the more you worry about the future, the more you're losing in the present moment right. that you have. So you're replacing your fear of the future with regret over time. And that was what was happening with us. So we had to learn how to let go mm-hmm. of our past and what used to be and actually fully see and embrace what is because there was more, there was joys in that too. Yeah. You know, um, it took me a solid six months to be able to say, okay, there's a strong possibility that this is going to be my life for a period of time, not necessarily forever, but I had to stop comparing myself to the version of myself six months ago. And I had to start comparing to myself to the version of me yesterday. And that's been something that I'm still struggling with. And I've been hesitant to come on here for a while and start talking about this, but I recently have been using my social media platform as a megaphone because I want to talk about these things because I know that there is power and vulnerability and that I am going through this for a reason and it's going to be a season of my life. And if I can share my experience, strength and hope through this journey and help other people, that's really all I can ask for. So yeah, it took me six months to become self-aware enough to be like, all right, it's time to grieve. You know, I've lost people that are close to me before and I never imagined that I would be grieving a lifestyle that I once enjoyed as a 31-year-old young uh, wife and, you know, daughter and all of those things. Um, So that was really, really difficult. But I think that it's, um, you know, like Darren said, we are in counseling. We see emotional performance coaches who have been helping us tremendously. Shout out to Damali right now for the grief homework she's been having us do and being able to move through that journey into an acceptance period and then grow from there. Because anything in life that we've gone through, we, we've always had the attitude of, you know, we want to grow through this experience, not just go through it. And we have such incredible examples of people like that in our lives. And, you know, Tony and Francis right now, Tony's going through his cancer journey and has just been such an incredible example of strength and faith, no matter what. 100%. Meg, do you have anything you want to add on that? Because if not, I have a, a, a connected question. But a little bit no, different. go ahead if you want to ask. So I think what both of you are speaking about, and I think is so applicable, is this struggle with identity. Because on one hand, you have this illness that is dominant. You know, it's something that you're you're even considering putting clothes in your car, depending on where you go. You got to plan everything out. Me and Nicole, we got to see, we make plans. We tell someone like 50, 50% chance, like... (laughs) We're not, is, we're not coming. It's not know? the way I like to operate my like, life. We'll I like a schedule. You, so this has been a journey. So the, the question is, how do you balance that? This part of yourself that needs attention, but also cultivating an identity that's not dependent on your illness. That, that doesn't come to define the totality of who you are. I really found like it's like breaking my day up. Um, like very helpful, even just mentally, like where I found, and I try to schedule things that way as well. Like, Oh, if I can go back home or if I mentally know like, okay, it's not four events in a row. Like, let's just like mentally, like, yes, you can do the first event. Like, I know you can do that. Like, and I feel like that breaking up my day (laughs) has really helped a lot is where I feel like so many people are like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, on a boat trip. I'm going to go to the movies and dinner. And I'm just like, okay, let me just 
let's do movies. <laughs> like, let's see how that goes, you yeah. know, physically. And I have tried to where even if I just mentally, you know, break that up or, you know, like you said, hopefully people understand that. And it's really, it is difficult. I found that a lot of people don't invite you <laughs> as many places anymore because they know you're not going to go. And I find that the hardest thing. It sounds silly to hear and people are like, well, I know you're not going to go. And it's like, well, I still like to just be included. Just <laughs> or, invite us, please. <laughs> you know, and as a parent, it's really difficult because people don't consider then my kid, you know, my kids. And it's like, well, they still have to do stuff, you know, or just because I physically can't do it, it would be nice if you could, you know, accommodate or certain things. It is very difficult that I've had to face. And especially the difference of with my son, I was able to be physical and I was, you know, softball mom and, you know, surfing everything you could do. And then with my daughter, I cannot be that person. So it is very, it has been a challenge to figure out what then I can be for her. That's not who I was for him, (laughs) which is, uh, you know, like any pressure for any person or parent, you know, you're just like, okay, how do I find? So I found certain things, like I said, art or just different things that her and I can do or okay, I could do the beach or there's certain times. Okay. If we go to the beach, we, it's easier to go after sundown, or I can't do as much of the wave stuff with you, but we can walk the jetties. We can collect shell, you know? So it's a fine line of trying to not, like you said, like, I don't want to sit here and be like, Oh, it's not fair. I can't do this. And I had so much fun with my son because don't get me wrong. I really (laughs) miss that stuff. And it is difficult, but trying to then find what I can do. And it's been an amazing, I feel like aspect to show her as a female that like, Hey, just because we may not be able to do certain things, we are so capable of so many other things that that's the best part about being female, (laughs) being anybody, but really like, I just want her to understand, like she can do anything. So it's like where she's like, Oh, I know you can't, you know, pick me up or you can't do this because of your neck. And I'm so sorry, but you're so great at this and you're such a great mom. It's like, okay, great. Like let's offset, you know, or even we got invited to a birthday party thing to, you know, the juggle of where my partner does come in handy, but then it does make me feel bad sometimes that I feel like other parents or people judge like, Oh, he's here. What's Meg doing? Getting her nails done. And, and where he doesn't feel like, like no one should have to say like, no, she's at home throwing her her brains out like she's on the floor like dying you know like <laughs> instead he's like oh you know she's hanging you know again stuff done with tj because where it's like i don't think we should need to all the time i think people should just be more understanding of people without needing to know everything about it. like and that's where i've learned to not feel that i have to justify my physical limitations or who i am like if you don't believe that i'm not there for a good reason then honestly, then you're missing out, you know? So I've really had, like, as you said, had to find confidence in myself as a human being that I know I'm a good person. I know I'm not just choosing to ditch you to go do something else. And that has been, like you said, very hard because we do feel that, I don't know, I then blame myself or worry than other people think I'm not a good mom, (laughs) you know, when you're just have to, I don't know, find that balance, what works for you inside, you know, who you are inside, which is not always easy (laughs) when you feel bad about yourself. (laughs) I think for me, the identity crisis has been one of the hardest things I've had to work on because 
So like I had said, I am, was, will be, I think I'm always going to partly be an attorney. I am a, I have been practicing matrimonial litigation and family law for the past seven years. And when this all happened in June, I was unable to work. And then in October, I lost my job. And that was a really difficult journey for me to go through because I had been at the same firm for five years. That was my family. And, um, you know, I was really, really good at what I did. And I thought that I had already gone on the journey of separating my identity from my profession. But when I lost my profession and was unable to do it, I realized that I still had a lot of my identity tied up in that profession. So now I was you know, struggling, you know, I'm not an attorney anymore. Am I going to be able to practice again? What am I going to practice? Should I go out on my own? Should I do government work? All of these different things. And, you know, we still have our, you know, our side hustles and the different things that we do. And I'm a makeup artist and Darian and I own our own business and are part of a group of young entrepreneurs and have, you know, found so many incredible resources through that and so much identity in there and being able to help other people. So I'm so thankful for that. But I wrapped up my per my identity in my performance, in my ability to produce at work, to run errands, to be super person and do everything for everyone. And I never said no, because I didn't want to disappoint other people. So now I was stuck with living my life on pretty much like an hour by hour basis because my condition can change so rapidly and I can be smiling and happy one minute and literally like the blink of an eye, I can be in bed for the next six days. There's no rhyme or reason to what's going on. And that's something that we've had to deal with. So I, in uh, January, after I had this like self-realization that you know, I had to grieve and I had to move forward and accept this new reality for the time being. I started reading a lot of Brene Brown, who has been so unbelievably helpful in this journey. And if this doesn't matter if you're chronic illness, mental illness, everything, because, you know, it all ebbs and flows. The ebbs and flows of healing are really a roller coaster journey. And since this has been happening, I've been struggling with depression and anxiety. And I've dealt with anxiety pretty much my whole life, but never really struggled with depression. So this has been, she's been so unbelievably helpful for me. And one of the things that she said that really resonated with me was that people who I, I'm not gonna be able to get this right. And it was just Don't so right. good. Just say the truth. Say my truth. <laughs> what is my truth, Brene? Um, so people who experience th- this grief or this sense of loss in their life are often more grateful and the opposite of vo- shame, scarcity, scarcity. Ah, yeah, here we go. Okay. Because she, what she was saying was it's all coming back to me now. This is the way my brain is working these days. So bear with me over here. Got I got it. I'm with it. So what she was saying is that um, people are often afraid to experience joy because when you let yourself fear, feel that joy, there's like a file cabinet of all of these horrible things that you keep in the back of your head ready to come. Like you're staring at your kid in the crib and you're like, I love you so much. And the back of your head, the next second, it's like, oh my God, you're going to die and something terrible is going to happen and all of this crazy stuff. So people often are afraid to experience joy because 
it's like the most vulnerable emotion because there's this scarcity element associated with it. Like it's, you can't let yourself have the good because the bad is going to come or when is the other shoe going to drop? So what she was saying is that the opposite of scarcity is gratitude. And the way that you practice gratitude is not by just like, Oh, you have an attitude of gratitude. It is really practicing gratitude and it is different for everybody. So for me, it's meditation, prayer, gratitude lists. Every day I have to do a gratitude list. Um, finding joy in the really small things. And it has gone from like, it used to take so much to make me happy and nothing was ever good enough to watching my dog's hair blow in the wind gives me joy some days. And it's, you know, Meg and I were talking about this the other day. It's finding the things that make you happy and can cultivate your new identity. Like I am not my chronic illness. I am not my mental illness. I am not defined by those things. They are subsets of things that I have to go through and experience, but I am creative. I am a child of God. I am a wife. I am, you know, thoughtful and ways for me to do those things, whether it's paint or make jewelry or do makeup or all of these fun things that can now shape this new identity for me. And then she just fades off. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) And I think, and and, and I appreciate both of you. I want to thank you so much for going to this place of vulnerability because these identity struggles are not unique to people with chronic illness. There, I think so much, so much of the spiritual illness that we can look into, into society is because we are struggling with who are we? And the answer we're given since we're your children is mostly through your performance. You get your grades, you get your parents' approval, then you have your job, then it's your bank account, and then maybe it's the cars and the houses. And there is something to that. But when that becomes a holistic measure, when those things are taken away, it's devastating. And I can just like, it's like, a, imagine if you defined yourself as a singer and all of a sudden you couldn't, you lost your voice. That's what really I, you know, was even sharing with Nicole when we were speaking that it, that's how I felt like both my kids are in school full time. And now it's like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, and I thought, you know, and I tried volunteering and helping. And then I found like it was more, which was great, but I just was like, oh, I, a physically sometimes couldn't then be as much as they want. And then I, it made me feel worse. And then sometimes a lot of the people were just more, I don't know, like, not the correct, I don't know if that makes sense. Some of them were just like doing it for a different reason Then I felt like, oh, I don't know. I just didn't feel like I fit in once again <laughs> with that. So I felt lost, which was then why I started with the, I did the story slam. Cause it was like, I don't even know where to begin, but I guess I'll start at like what, I don't know, almost if we, if I didn't face the original trauma in my life, with on top of this new trauma I was facing of that I was just going to continue to pile up. So I was like, well, let me just start at the beginning. Cause I don't, like you said, like if I'm already getting depressed from this and if I already have other stuff that I've just never gotten to face, like I really just need to figure all of it out to really find out who I can now be and who I am. Cause it's, it's so hard, you know, when so much of you is taken away and even we're sharing, it's like being forced to retirement, but we never had the fun, you know, yeah. like I didn't get to like, you know, have the 40 years of enjoying coworkers and a big party. It just was all of a sudden I went 
for making a nice living, you know, not like it was perfect. It wasn't great, but like for myself, like just starting to finally like make some track from like struggling so much as a single mom and to finally like see the light for my son and to meet somebody. And like you said, to have this relationship, that's like, you know, fun, like, oh yeah. Like, do you want to go out or do stuff? And then all of a sudden be like, oh, by the way, I know you met fun Meg, but do you want to stick around for possibly disabled Meg? You know, like this is (laughs) what I'm finding out. And it was like, it was a lot, you know, to find out. And then I really had hopes of going back to work, like, oh, this is really nothing, you know, like, oh, I'll do this brain surgery and I'll be good to go. And I, and I was, I went back to work for a little bit and it just was so much physically that again, I felt lost and had my daughter and was like, that's okay, this is it. So then to keep having things that take you from who you think you're supposed to be, it can be confusing. Like how you said, some people spend their whole lives to become something or they have this gift and to have it taken away. You're like, oh, I just, I don't understand. And sometimes it's not about us understanding to accept it. You know, we don't always have to understand it to accept it, but to just realize there is something so much better, even if the understanding comes <laughs> way later, you know? I think that that's so powerful too, because even right now, as I'm thinking about the way that I define my identity, some of the things that I do, you know, identify with and define myself as can be taken away but some of the things can't. So I think I need to redefine it again to the things that can't be taken away from me, the things that make me who I am, my creativity, my zest for life and food and things like that. Um, (laughs) But I just want to give a shout out to the caretakers out there. You know, you were talking (laughs) about John and how, you know, when Darian and I met eight years ago, almost, I was in the prime physical condition, not mental condition. I was <laughs> jacked up from the neck up, but we got married in 2016, uh, right after my brain stuff had happened. So he already kind of knew what he was in for at that point, but we didn't know that this was going to become yeah, the extent. Yeah. You think exactly. like, oh, it's gonna, you know, <laughs> exactly. And your vows, you know, you, you vow when you get married or when you're in a relationship, sickness and health for better or worse and for all those things. And we didn't know that those things were going to happen. God's like, are you sure? <laughs> like, we're going to test that. Yes, they're like, yeah. oh, Okay. <laughs> but it's, you know, Meg and I were talking about this too. It's really hard when you're raised to be this strong, independent woman as you know, we both were, and then have to rely on someone for things like sometimes getting out of bed. It's so hard because sometimes you can wrap up your identity in your illness and in making, in just living for that next moment. When in reality, there's another person or persons or people in your life who are affected by this. And sometimes it's, it's really easy to lose sight of that uh, because you're the one struggling and it's that victim mentality essentially. But for me, it's been so vital to take myself out of my own situation, my own body, even if I'm struggling and even if I'm in pain and put my attention on my husband and my family and just try to outserve someone in that moment and not worry about me. And there are times where I have to grip my teeth and bear it because I physically, that's all I can do. And then there are times where I fall short. But in those moments where I fall short, it has been vital for me to practice what I preach and to not feel that sense of shame 
uh, and guilt for not being able to do what I was doing. And like I had said, the shame was smothering my sense of worthiness and connection. And I know that what you keep in the dark grows and that, you know, you have to bring light to it. So that was why I started talking about that with Darian, because I was just like, I, I'm not worthy. Like, I just, I feel like I'm literally wasting space on this earth. Like, what am I doing? You know, and he was able, I think that when you share your weakness and your journey, that your thoughts are rationalized when you're able to talk it out with somebody else, whether it's a mental health professional or a counselor or a a trusted advisor or partner for you to be able to recognize that I don't have to feel this way. My emotions are valid or my feelings are valid, but they do not have to be the way that my life is run. They can be indicators, but they don't have to be the driving force. Yeah, that um, I have a statement and then I have an idea. I have a curveball for both of you. So okay. how you feel Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but just for the identity stuff, what I've come to realize, and, and this is a journey, it's not an on-off switch. Don't stop. Sorry, journey. Just okay. Going. When so I just sing for thousands of people. Oh, geez. Thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands. Um, when you accept who you're not, that frees you to become who you could be. That's good. I like that. And part of what I think all the wisdom traditions try to teach us is that identity is fluid. There are certain things that I believe are intractable. Like I'm a child God and I was put here to serve, but everything else can evolve and change and it should. Maybe if, you know, most of us are probably not made to be static our whole lives. And sometimes things like uh, an illness can help us come to realize how much we really have to give because, you know, we, we become so much more than just no, I, a thousand people. percent. Like I, I honestly really like, didn't really, I mean, I had when I was younger, some art stuff, but never really. And honestly, I tell people, it's like, as soon as my sports brain ha- or like abilities had to be shut off, like the creative side was like, yeah, our turn. Mm-hmm. Like finally, <laughs> like we get a chance to shine or whatever. Cause I, or like you said, that work or this other mentality of just, doing other things that we were just so busy. We didn't get a chance to let the other side flow. So I have found it's just like amazing. Like you said, when you finally give the other half of your brain or your body, you know, like you a chance to shine <laughs> what you're capable of. 100%. There's so many different things we could be doing. So that actually, so you, we're talk- the here's the curveball. We were talking about caregivers and people in our life who love us and friends who are like, you know, they're, this is new to them and this is hard. <laughs> So what I would love to do, and if you guys are open to this, let's, and we have maybe like 10 more minutes. I think I know where this is going and I'm excited about it. Keep going. Okay, cool. Uh, We have like (laughs) 10 more minutes. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about things people say that they think are helpful, but isn't, and things that they could say instead, because maybe there's someone listening and they're empathic and they don't mean like, when I first started, I was saying stupid stuff and I thought it was helpful and it was just like wounding. And people were saying things to me, I'm like, if you say that again, I'm going to punch you in the face, you know, and most of them weren't trying to be jerks. So maybe we can help somebody who's sitting there. Okay. You know, I want to help someone on a journey. I know someone who's sick. I live with someone. I'm married to someone, whatever. So for me, I'll start off where you guys can think about what your thing is, but I, I would really just love if everyone would just stop saying everything happens for a reason, or this is part of God's plan. If you say that to me personally, I might assault you verbally or physically. 
um, because it, it, it confers that this, <laughs> that this is ha- like that this was meant to happen. Right. And it takes away all the dignity of agency and vulnerability. And it really makes you feel like, well, if you feel crappy about it, why are you feeling so bad? Like this is God's plan. I just go yes. with it, you know? Um, and it's just, it's just really, if you're you, like if you, my, you know, friend passed away and they're like, there's a reason. And you're like, <laughs> Okay, I understand um, that. Everything, well, there's a reason. However, I feel like that Instagram um, meme where it's like the music starts playing, you're like, all right, tell me the reason then. Tell me the reason <laughs> exactly. then. And it's like, there's the thing is, there's no reason. And like, I, I can't sit here. I could sit here and try to understand and ask myself a million times, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? When in reality, I have no idea why this is happening. Yeah. And Darian, you need a moment to cry. Like it's okay. Exactly. Take a moment to be angry. It's like, of course, don't let it consume your life, but everyone deserves a moment to feel their feelings. And I think yeah. so many people are just like, what are, and you're like, you don't even make sense. <laughs> what you're saying. It's right. And Darian, the other day I was having like a existential crisis and breakdown. And I was like, I just, I was just mourning this sense of who we were and who I was really. And he was, you know, I I was trying to understand. I'm like, I'm trying to follow God's will for me, but what is it? Just like, tell me what it is. I follow directions really, really well. and Then I'll be able to get it. And he was telling me about Job. He's like, do you know about Job? And then he started going off on this like very pastor, my dad moment tangent where he's telling me all of these things. And he's like, you know, uh, Job was like, why, why, why? And God was like, were you there when I created the sun? Were you there when I did all of these things? And Job was like, no. And he's like, so then why would you expect to understand my ways? I didn't promise you understanding. I promised you peace. So for me, it's like, I don't understand. And I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I accepted that. What was the question? <laughs> so, yeah. so the other half said, so this is what people say. And this is what I think someone, oh, could, right. could, say, yeah. someone could say instead is first of all, just like, Meg, what you said, I think the most important thing we'll all say this is just to validate the person's emotions because oftentimes these things are really, really hard and they're upset for a really good reason. And you don't, and often when I find someone who's trying to comfort you and trying to make you not upset is actually just uncomfortable with emotions themselves. So they're just like deflecting. But that's a whole other psychology. Yeah. <laughs> so instead you could say something like, you know, it sounds like what you're going through is really, really hard. Yeah. And I'm here for you. And maybe as we go through this journey, we might be able to find some meaning in it. Yeah. And through that meaning and that purpose, we actually might be able to help other people eventually, but we don't have to be there yet. So just know that there's hope at the end of this and I'm going to be here for you at the toughest times. So some of the things that have, I think really helped me is Darian has changed his verbiage recently. And when I'm not feeling well, his verbiage now is, uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Is there anything I can do to make you more comfortable? Well, what did I used to say? I don't remember. Like I, I can't remember what I have for breakfast, remember? Uh, okay, okay. What I used to say was, how can I help you? Oh, right. And then it's like, you can't. Exactly. Like, take this pain away. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> so it's like do you have a new thalamus that I can borrow? <laughs> so then um, I changed it consciously. Like, right. I don't know, go back in time. Can you do that? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Um, so yeah, he changed it consciously. And is there anything I could do to make you more comfortable? Nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. Whether it's an ice pack, a heating pad, a kiss, a hug, a, a helping yeah. hand. But when friends and family, um, you know, when they, these are, these are not helpful things. So here we go. Buckle in. Um, be gentle with people. I'm going to be gentle with people. I know how you feel. Oh, you have no idea how I feel. No one knows. And I don't know how you feel if I'm trying to comfort you. So I really 
you know, I, we can all use our personal experiences in order to help other people. But um, telling people you know how they feel like that, you have no idea. Well, I also have a headache. And they're like, exactly. (laughs) This is not a headache. It's not. Okay, sure. (laughs) Exactly. We're not going to even begin that debate, but you go ahead and take it. (laughs) Um, Other things that are not helpful is people's overwhelming sadness and pity uh, towards you, you know, whether it's family members who just feel so, so bad and wish there was something they could do. It's like, yeah, I wish there was something I could do as well. And I'm dealing with this. I don't need to comfort you in your time of need as well right now. Um, but honestly, what really helps, I have this one friend, Hela, who you all know her. She's Sean's wife. What am I doing? Um, she, is amazing, obviously. And when I reach out to her and she always checks in just to ask how I'm feeling like every other day, if she doesn't hear from me, she reaches out and checks in. Um, and she validates my feelings. She has no idea what I'm going through or how it makes me feel personally, but they are very involved in what's going on in our lives. So she'll just be like, ah, that freaking sucks. And it does suck. And like, she'll validate my feelings and tell me how proud she is of me and that she admires me. And those are not easy words for her to come by. So when she tells me those things, I really, really appreciate it. So I think that if you are in that position or you're a caretaker, or you're talking to someone that's going through it, like Darian said, like just validating where they're at and, you know, asking how you can be there for them. And a lot of times it's just listening. I think I think relate to like anytime people are like, you're lucky because like you don't have to work anymore or you get to park there or whatever. And I'm just like, are you thinking through these comments? <laughs> you know, no. like what? so that sometimes really just aggravates me. Or again, how you're saying, like, well, if people would go more out of their way to be like helpful, you know, I don't know, even especially I feel like sometimes with like as a parent, or sometimes people, it's just it's like, oh well, you must be fine. Or, Oh, I don't really get like, you look okay. Or everything must be fine. So I don't really get the problem or certain things that I feel like other people would be like, Oh, I'm so glad that you're not vomiting at the moment. You know, like there's other way that it's like, well, do you want, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like people just their comments of how you look or something aren't really, I don't know if that makes sense. You just feel like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks. It's like, sometimes I spend an hour trying to make myself look appropriate and presentable, even though I feel terrible on the inside. Or if you like have ever had to leave somewhere quick because you don't feel good. I don't, I admit I am not always the best of goodbyes. Sometimes if I'm at my limit and it's like, I have 20 minutes to get home possibly before I'm going to get sick. Or I feel like I really can't see straight, you know, like, Mm-hmm. The fuzzies cut, you know, you have a window sometimes and it's like, yeah. oh, sometimes you have to go. And I feel like sometimes ma- people make you feel bad about being sick or like, oh, did you go say goodbye to this person? Or don't forget to do this. Or do you want a goodie bag? And you're like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be rude. I just, I have to go. And they're like, well, I mean, I just, you stayed, I don't know, certain things that they put this pressure on us that sometimes I wish more people would just be like, go do it. You know, just, I think to everybody in general in life, sometimes I think if somebody mm-hmm has to go or they reach that moment, like just don't force them. Sometimes people I think are at, you know, just again, like validating, like, Oh, you good. I got you. I'll call you later. Like, if you need anything, let me know. I think just in all general aspects, people are just so their needs instead of others, sometimes that they just don't even grasp anything else happening (laughs) that I really wish people would really 
just that, just step back and not make it so personal because it rarely ever is about that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's one theme I hear a lot is, is we want to, you know, when we use, you know, Oh, I, I was sick back, you know, and then, you know, and then we try to make it about ourselves because it's something we can control. And there's something about someone watching someone you love being in pain mm-hmm. and not being able to do anything about it is so humbling and so vulnerable and so hard that we say things without really thinking through the implications of what we're saying. And so the theme I hear um, is grace and maybe awareness. Mm-hmm. If we all had more, a little bit more grace with each other, if, you know, if you see Meg running out of the building, it's probably not because she doesn't care about saying goodbye to everyone. You know, it's having that grace. It's like, oh, you know, there must be something going yeah. on. You She's know, nice or, back stat. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. Like maybe I'll text her. You okay? no, coming. No. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. But it also goes the other way too. If you're the person on the other end who is struggling with illness, sometimes it's hard. Like you don't want to have to explain yourself like you're saying every time, but maybe there is a way that we can have these conversations where people might just be ignorant. I, I've had a couple of yeah. times where people invite me out to things and I'm like, don't you know, my wife is so sick. And it's like, they don't, they don't know. Yeah. And I'm mad about something that they really, they didn't understand the severity of what's going on. And especially like you said, a lot of it's not physically being able to be seen. Um, and so that's hard to grasp. So I think we I might think have a whole. John probably gets that as well. You know, like, oh, you don't do anything anymore. Like he's suffered, like no one includes him really anymore on the guy spectrum because it's like, oh, you don't really go anymore. Or you're always helping your, you know, your partner and stuff or, any, or you're with your kids. And it's like, I don't really need to tell, you know, like, oh, for most of you, it's like, how many times do you need to tell people? But then you feel sometimes like a catch 22, like, oh, I feel like if I've told you a few times, you kind of should get it. Like how much do you have to go in depth about it? But then, like you said, sometimes you do have to remind people. It's a very fine line sometimes to feel like people should just understand without you having to lay out like this big book of why right. something <laughs> is the way, through. like, yes, <laughs> like you're like, you should you trust me enough as a human or care about me that whatever the reason it is, it is, but it is tough. I'm sure we then feel bad too, that you're missing out on life. And it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Your friends don't like you anymore because of me. And it's not even, and then we feel worse. Cause it's like, it's not like I'm a mean wife or a bad person. I just genuinely need your help sometimes. And if you, you have five events coming up pain wise, sometimes you can pick one. And it's really tough to explain to other people. It's not like your event is less validating or less exciting. I really want it to be number one, but unfortunately only one can be number one. (laughs) You know, it's hard for people, I think, to get that. And it's, it's a lot of pressure on us, I think, to want to help to please everybody, but then not overdo it to where we spend a week in bed or we're in the hospital. So it's tough to balance that, I feel like. (laughs) And I think, you know, one thing I'm hearing too throughout this whole is if people can, everyone can learn to push beyond themselves a little bit in their empathy, not their pity, not feeling bad for you, but trying to walk in each other's shoes. Mm -hmm. Then we can have that understanding of when things don't quite work out the way we thought they would of why that's happening and not jumping to conclusions on on both ways. So I want to thank you both so much for sharing. Um, I want to create any spaces or anything that we didn't say or cover that you you all would like to kind of wrap up with? I think I would just like to leave a final thought for anyone that might be in the beginning of a chronic illness, mental illness, 
uncertainty issue, identity crisis, anyone, you know, even just people dealing with like this whole work from home, Zoom life, COVID, trying to navigate this next chapter and what it's going to look like for everybody. Have grace with yourself. Self-care is real and important, very important. Find meaningful times to rest and recharge, not scrolling. Um, I really want to find create time to remember who I was before social media existed and be present with my family and my friends and focus on myself and whatever you're going through, whatever you think it is that you can't overcome, the struggle that you're going through is going to bring you so much joy and happiness on the other side that you're going to be living a life beyond your wildest dreams. And the greater the struggle you go through, the greater the joy that's going to be on the other side. So keep overcoming, don't give up, keep fighting, keep persisting, because I truly, truly believe that for us and for all of you that the best is yet to come and you can choose to, you know, write the blank pages of your story. And even if you've come to a certain road or you don't know what the future is that you can, you know, create the life you want to live. Just like, I'll hop back real quick on the one part you said, just how you like see different angles of things. And I would say, I think that's something from health wise that has really, when you're in pain or certain, I feel like you do see so much more than maybe you didn't see before. Like so many blinders are off and you really, the blessing or plus side (laughs) of being in pain is, is sick is it's almost like we faced our deathbed so many times through going through this stuff that we want so many, you know, like the lights have come on of seeing so much stuff. So I would see that as the blessing and the plus side of all mm-hmm. is it all of this is I really try to see different things that everybody else could be thinking or where they're coming from and just like, okay, well, this is probably what the benefit of the doubt, you know, or whatever <laughs> that has been helpful. But I also just really encourage people as much as we've heard about amazing caregivers, just I never want anyone to feel like they like somebody could treat them badly because Mm -hmm. of who they become, you know, like thankfully you and I are very fortunate, but I know that not everybody is. And I'm so happy to have escaped a past person that sometimes make you feel like who you are or your faults or these limitations deserve someone to treat you badly or that because they're now missing out on certain things, they can say, you know, badly or make you feel bad. And I, I, I just want to encourage people like you should never just because sometimes occasionally we feel bad about (laughs) this. No one else deserves to ever make you feel that way. Like no one should ever make you feel guilty that you can't go dancing anymore, that you can't go to a concert, that you can't eat at certain restaurants. Like who you are is amazing.